Thank you, gentlemen. And that's where the joy of the Lord is, is when we yield to be just a servant for him. There's more joy serving the Lord at home than there is serving the devil with riotous living in the far country. And a good song. Open your Bibles again to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we read the first four verses this morning and this evening. We read the last four verses and I'll refer to just a few others as we go through the message tonight, Overcoming Despair, Overcoming Despair. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you met with us this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the good response, not only this morning, but throughout this afternoon of folks that have heard the word of God and the message. And I pray, Lord, as we conclude the message tonight, that it would be a help to each and to all of us. And Lord, help us to understand it's not how we feel about truth, it's how we apply truth that makes a difference in our lives. Fill me with your spirit, I pray, I ask, I desire, I hunger. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning I pointed out five things that Elijah said or did that were indicators that Elijah had been misled by his emotions. He had been misled by his emotions. Elijah, the great prophet of God, had come to a point of despair in his life and even to a place of depression. I'll remind you of those five things that I gave you this morning from 1 Kings chapter 19. The first thing Elijah did was to cut himself off from those that were close to him. He broke fellowship. He pushed away from those that he was close to. As I mentioned this morning, he ran some 100 miles to get away from the place where he was. And as a result... And it's no surprise, he felt all alone. There is often a need for rest. There is often a need for us to have a time of refreshment. But there's never a time for you and I to withdraw from the people of God and from the place of God. That is where you plan to quit. You don't want to withdraw from the people of God. If that's in your heart, that's in your minds, that's in your plans, that's the first step that Elijah took toward despair. The second thing Elijah did was he took his eyes off the Lord and he focused instead on the circumstances around him. There was enough circumstances to discourage anyone but that's not where Elijah had been living. Elijah had been living with his focus on God. And God is greater than any trial. God is greater than any enemy. God is greater than any obstacle. And uh, Elijah took his focus off of God. He put it on his own circumstances. When we leave God and his power out of the picture, we're going to get in trouble. It's easy, it's easy for us to focus on the circumstances rather than God. The third thing he did was he stopped interceding for others and started requesting for himself. He stopped interceding for others and he started requesting for himself. This was the first time Elijah in these chapters had prayed for himself. He'd forgotten his purpose. His purpose was to be a prophet of the nation of Israel. His responsibility was to represent the people to God and God to the people. 
But when we come to this chapter in chapter 19, his attention is full of himself. And when we become so self-conscious that it dominates our thinking, we're in trouble spiritually. When we get to the place where everything is about me, we need a spiritual checkup. The fourth thing that Elijah did was he adopted an attitude that life is hopeless. There is no hope in life. He sat down under the juniper tree and Elijah said there's no more reason to live. And as long as we can go through life with hope, there is joy. But when you lose hope, despair is where we're going to find Ourselves. The fifth thing uh, that Elijah did that we learned this morning was Elijah claimed that he wanted to die. Now, Elijah didn't want to die, he just said that. He's looking for pity. He's looking for pity from God. He's looking for pity for, him own, for his own self. If he'd have wanted to die, he could have stayed in Israel and Jezebel would have finished him off by the next evening as she said that she was going to do. But he was whining and he was crying. Now there are four things that we need to bring to our attention when we get to that place of despair. We talked about these this morning. First of all, uh, Elijah had not been forsaken by the Lord. You have not been forsaken by the Lord. You have not been forsaken by the Lord. God loves you tonight. He loves you as much as he ever has and God cares about you tonight. Second of all, God still had a plan for Elijah and for his future. You say, how do you know if God still has a plan for your life if you're still alive? You're still alive? God has a purpose because God's the one's in control of life and death. And when our life here is ended and our purpose is ended, he'll bring us on to glory. And so we learn that God had a plan for Elijah's future. Number three, God wanted to bring Elijah out of despair, and he wants to bring us out of despair. He doesn't want us to stay there. God came to Elijah where he was. He didn't fuss at him. He, 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 he didn't kill him. He didn't say, you forfeited your right to ministry. God came to him in his despair, and the angel ministered to him. But he didn't come to pity him. He didn't come to have a pity party he came to deliver him may I say tonight if you're in that place of despair you're in that place you think there's no hope God wants to bring you out of that back to the place of joy and happiness in the will of God then I said last of all as I concluded the message this morning it is not a sin to be tired and even in despair but it is dangerous to stay there for if you stay there you'll quit on God if you stay there you'll go into sin if you stay in that place of despair, you'll come to the place of, 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 of desiring to entertain yourself and to find joy or gladness in the things of the world. You don't want to stay in the place of despair, discouragement, or depression. God will bring you out, and we need to understand there's a danger in staying in despair. Now, as we continue to read this passage, we learned, we learned that God was not finished with Elijah. He's not finished with you. I can tell by looking at you. You're alive. You're awake. You're still living. God has a purpose for uh, your life. It is important to note that God had Elijah to eat food. He had him to rest. In fact, he woke, in fact, he woke him up. He went back to sleep. He let him snooze. 
first snooze alarm in the Bible. We find here uh, Elijah hit the snooze. He wanted to hit it for 10 years. God said 10 minutes is long enough. Now it's time to get up and get back to work. Now there are three things that God did to bring Elijah back to the place of productive life and ministry. Now I want to say this before I give you the three things. Don't wait for emotion to cause you to act on these things. Act on them because they're right. I don't wait till a good day comes. I make a good day by obedience to God. Another day in despair, another day in defeat will only hurt you. We make a decision and not wait for an emotion. We wait for a decision to move forward. Oh, how I beg you to listen to these three simple things. First of all, he gave Elijah a new charge. He gave Elijah a new charge. Specifically, that charge is found in verse number 15 and 16. Notice the Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Notice that. I want you to anoint a man to be the king over Syria. That's a big deal. Verse number 16 and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou to be king over Israel. Uh, that ought to give him some joy that Ahab is going to be replaced here. He said, you're going to anoint a second king. And thirdly, he said, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, he said, will you anoint to be the prophet in thy room? He gave him a new charge. I want to point out something that's important. If you'll look at verse number 9, he asked Elijah the question, What dost thou hear? Now he's been dealing with Elijah. He's been uh, working to wake Elijah up and getting back into the uh, place of serving him, back into his will, back to where he can give him this charge. And I want you to notice God asked him a present tense uh, 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 question, but Elijah gave him a past tense answer. He said, well, I was jealous for you. Basically, God says to him, I'm not talking about last year. I'm talking about today. And he goes on to challenge him. Do you understand sometimes we remind God of what we used to do. We remind God of what we once did. The will of God is for you and I to stay active in his will today. Regardless of our age, regardless of our condition, regardless of our position, God has a work for us to do. Now hear me well, hear me well. Anything God gives us to do is important to do. And it should not be compared to anything we've done in the past. Now think of this. Elijah, he didn't pray down fire from heaven every year. He did that one time in his life. And sometimes we look at the things God has allowed us to be a part of and the will of God today doesn't seem as exciting as something in the past. But may I say tonight that anything that's in the will of God for me to do today is important. Anything God wants me to do today is just as important as anything 
I've ever done in the past. May I say, as you look through Scripture, there were many men that served God, and they came to a time that God used them in a great and marvelous way, maybe a miraculous way, but after that, they quit on God because they were looking for something greater to do. Don't miss the statement. There is nothing greater for you and I to do today than to walk with Him today. You may not mark it with a plaque. You may not mark the day with a recognition. You may not mark the day with an applause. But God's will for my life is just as important today as it was yesterday or as it was last year. Let me give you some examples in the Bible. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, but not every day. Not every year. In fact, he never did it again. He only did it one time. But there were many things God had Moses to do. And God is saying to Elijah, Here, I have more work for you to do. And it ought to be an exciting thing that God would allow us to do anything for him. And everything that Moses did after he led the children of Israel out of Egypt was just as important as the day he led them out. Thank both of you. Your walk with God may not be as exciting as the day you got saved, but it's as important as that day. Your service for God. You see, there is an excitement, there is a challenge, there is a charge that he has given to Elijah here. I want you to go and anoint two kings. Well, that's nothing compared to praying down fire from heaven. Well, it is something too. It's the will of God. It's the will of God. You, you, you think of the life of David. He didn't kill a giant every day. In fact, he didn't kill a giant every year. He only killed one giant in his life just one time. But that was when he was a young man. David had many tasks that God had given to him. And all of them were important until the day David was taken home to heaven. The three Hebrew children, we know about them. And we know of the great day that they wouldn't bow uh, to the image and they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they were delivered that only happened one time in their life but everything that God had them to do was important in their life Peter didn't walk on the water every day and there are things in my life as I look back that may have been more exciting than the events scheduled for tomorrow but tomorrow morning's walk with God is just as important as last year's walk with God that led to a day of greatness and I never know what God is going to do in the future so I want to be obedient to him in small things just like I've been obedient obedient to him in small things in the past. God's will for today. The, ne the next task for Elijah was not to fight a battle. It was not to face Ahab again. It was not to challenge 450 false prophets, but it was a mission of peace. I want you to stay with me. I want you to think about what I'm about to tell you right here. Others were now called on to take part in the fighting. And you'll find that in this passage of Scripture and others are going to deal with the message that Elijah had delivered and God is going to honor that message and God is going to kill the enemy and righteousness is going to prevail. If you recall, when we looked this morning at, at, at 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah felt like he was out of strength 
to fight another battle. Do you remember what caused him to run? What caused him to run was Jezebel sent a letter and said, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. But do you know God was preparing to do a different work with Elijah? Think about this. God sent him to Ahab the first time. God sent him to the brook Cherith. God sent him to the widow. God sent him to Mount Carmel. God sent him to face the hundreds of false prophets of Baal and of Jezebel. Can I tell you, God didn't send him to fight Jezebel. He ran from what he thought he was going to do, but not what God called him to do. Do you know anything God called you to do? God enables you to do it. It seems that Elijah has gone through all of these and Jezebel sends him a letter and you would think, boy, he would just, he, he, he would not be afraid of her at all, but he says, I'm out of strength. I can't fight anymore. Elijah, God didn't call you to fight Jezebel. You know, you don't want to run from a supposed battle before you because you don't know what God is going to do in your life ahead of you. From this time forward, God did a different work with Elijah than he'd ever done before. Up to this point, Elijah was a fighter. Up to this point, Elijah was a man who would take a stand. From this time forward, Elijah was used to choose and to anoint two kings. He was chosen to anoint another prophet and to invest in him and to train Elisha that would become his servant and would become the prophet of God. Don't run from what you think is going to happen next. Just stay in the will of God. He ran from Jezebel. He didn't have to run from her. Had God called him to face her, God would have enabled him to face her and overcome that. But God now gave Elijah a new charge. May I say to you, if you're in despair or at the place of despair or depression, you say, how do I ever get out of this? You stop focusing on the despair. You stop focusing on the circumstances and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? As you look at 2020 coming up here in just a few weeks, what do you want to do in your life? What do you want to do as far as your family is concerned? What do you want to accomplish in your life? May I tell you that you'll not find yourself in despair if you're following the will of God and God's charge for your life. Let me give you the second thing. He gave Elijah a new comfort. He gave Elijah a new charge. He gave Elijah a new comfort. He says in verse number 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah had said that he was alone. God told Elijah there's 7,000 that had not bowed their knee to Baal. He was not alone. By the way, you're not alone. You, you, you're not the only one. You, you're not the only one. You're not the only one serving God tonight. There are people across this nation, around the world, serving God tonight, faithfully serving God. Some are serving Him in a lonelier field than you and I. 
It is a lie for you to think you're the only one serving God. You're not the only one facing a battle tonight. You, you, you can just mark that off your list of reasons to cry because you're not the only one facing a battle. You're not the only one carrying a burden tonight. You are not. We are not the only one. There's a bunch that's still doing right. For you and I to claim, well, I'm the only one left, is a self-pity decision that's simply not true. You know what you're really saying? I want to be alone. But you're not alone. We're not alone in service. We're not alone in sacrifice. We're not alone in despair. He reminded Elijah once again that not only were there 7,000 with him, but God was with him and he knew all that was going on. By the way, when the 7,000 didn't know where Elijah was, God knew where Elijah was. And God sent the angel to let him know he wasn't just recruiting him because he needed him for the work. He came to him because he loved him. He sent the angel to Elijah because he cared about him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 13. God knows every detail about me and about you. It seems that as soon as Elijah leaves his place of despair that the first thing he finds, look at the chapter here again. He says in verse 18, I have, not, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed. Verse number 19, so he departed thence and found. The very next thing that happened, as soon as he leaves his despair, the first thing he saw was Elisha plowing in the field. The first thing he saw. Now he could have said, well, that guy ain't going to serve God. He's busy plowing. That guy doesn't have time to serve God. He, 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 he's got a farm to take care of. But as soon as he left his despair, he saw a man that was working, plowing uh, these uh, 12 yoke of oxen. And he took his mantle and he put it on Elisha. And Elisha was glad to serve with Elijah. He had been waiting for Elijah to come out of despair. He'd been waiting for somebody to say, I need your help. Can I tell you something tonight? The thing that brought Elijah out of despair was the charge that God gave him. And second of all, it was the comfort that God gave him that 7,000 had not bowed. And then last of all, he gave him a new companion by the name of Elisha. I say tonight, stop complaining and start recruiting. Cancel your pity party and have some other kind of party where you recruit workers to help you in your work. There are folks that want to help us. You don't have to pray alone. You don't have to go soul winning alone. You don't have to serve alone. You don't have to walk alone. These men, according to these verses, they enjoyed fellowship. And in verse number 21, the very last words of that verse is, and ministered unto him. After Elisha, he said, and ministered unto him. He encouraged Elijah, you know what will encourage me is to help get somebody else active in the service of God. You know what will encourage you is to encourage your children, encourage your family, encourage others around you. It may not seem that they have time to serve, but you'd be surprised who is just waiting for someone to encourage them to help serve the Lord. 
God knew the burdens that Elijah carried. He knew that they were too heavy for him to bear alone. So he gave him a confidant. He gave him a friend. He gave him a peer. And he ministered to Elijah. That means to attend to. That means to contribute. That means to serve. And this describes the kind of friend that Elisha was to Elijah. There are those that want to serve God with us. May I say tonight, I'm grateful to God for the people that I get to serve him with. I'm thankful for you. And I'm glad we get to serve God together. You say, oh, you don't need me. God needs you. God wants you. One of the most moving stories I read recently was a story about Abraham Lincoln Twice I have been to Springfield, Illinois, and been to the Lincoln Museum. Other than Gettysburg, it was one of the places that I felt most eerie, and even a feeling of oppression to watch as they go through and they talk about the Civil War and they see the number of people that were dying to see how the president was responding in hurt and concern. One asked the president one day, Mr. Lincoln, do you think God's on our side? He said, that's not my concern. My concern is that I'm on God's side. Mr. Lincoln in Washington had many friends back home in Springfield. They were basically common people. This morning I told you about Lincoln and the fact that he suffered from depression. In fact, there was a time that he was so depressed, his friends, uh, they were afraid for a knife or a razor to be in his presence. They feared uh, because of his mental and emotional condition. And this story was somewhat of a common man. And here's how the story read in the book. During the worst days of the Civil War, an old friend of Abraham Lincoln's a Springfield, Illinois shopkeeper by the name of Billy Brown decided to travel to Washington to see his old friend, now the President of the United States. When he arrived in Washington and went to the building he knew Lincoln was in, he met an aide and asked the aide if he could see Mr. Washington, or I'm sorry, Mr. Lincoln. The aide said, do you have an appointment? No, sir, replied, replied Billy. I ain't, and it ain't necessary. Maybe it's all right and fitting to have appointments, but I reckon Mr. Lincoln's old friends don't need them. You just trot along, son, and tell him Billy's here. Billy Brown from Springfield, Illinois, and see what he says. The aide frowned at Mr. Brown, but he went in. Just a few minutes, the door popped open, and out came Mr. Lincoln. His face was aglow, and he said, Billy, as he pumped his friend's hand in a handshake, I sure am glad to see you. Come right in. Now, you're going to stay for supper with Mary and me. And as soon as Mr. Lincoln could discharge his immediate responsibilities, the two men went to the back of the place where he was and they sat down on somewhat of a stoop or a porch. And as Billy later put it, and I quote, we talked and talked. He asked me about pretty nigh everything in Springfield. 
So I just let loose and told him about the weddings, the births, the funerals, the buildings. And I guess there wasn't a yarn I'd heard in three and a half years that he'd been away that I didn't spin for my friend. You should have heard him laugh. Watching Mr. Lincoln laugh did my heart good, for I could see what they'd been doing to him. He was always a thin man, but Lordy, he was thinner than ever now. His face was drawn and gray. Just to look at him was enough to make you cry. Later that evening, Billy said, Well, Abe, goodbye. I've got to get back to Springfield. No, he said, I want you to stay and I want you to spend the night and have supper. He said, I'm sorry, I have to go back home. He said, well, Billy, what'd you come down here for? He said, I came to see you, Mr. Lincoln. But ain't you going to ask for anything, Billy? What do you need? What is it? Out with it, Billy. No, Mr. Lincoln just wanted to see you. I felt kind of lonesome. It had been so long since I'd seen you. And I was afraid I'd forget some of those yarns if I didn't come tell you now. Lincoln gazed into his friend's eyes. Billy, do you mean that you came all the way from Springfield, Illinois, just to have a visit with me? And you don't have any complaints in your pocket? No advice up your sleeve? Yes, sir. That's the only reason I came. Tears came to Lincoln's eyes. They ran down his cheeks and he said, and I quote, I'm homesick, Billy, just plumb homesick. It seems as if, as if this war will never be over. Many a night I can see the boys dying on the fields and can hear their mothers crying for them at home. I just can't help it, Billy. You'll never know just what good you've done me today. God gave to Elijah a friend. Now you may say tonight, but I don't have anyone to come and see me and lift my spirits. And that could be an indicator that you're not ready to leave despair because you don't leave despair by waiting for somebody to come and help you. You leave despair by trying, some, trying to find someone else that you can help. For you see, Elisha didn't go to where Elijah was. When Elijah left the place of despair, as he journeyed, the first person he saw was Elisha. May I say tonight, you don't get help in despair. You get help when you leave despair in obedience to God. Stand with me, if you will. You're not alone in service. You're not alone in battle. You're not alone in burden. There are others that desire to serve with you. Don't you let the devil isolate you and make you think you're all alone. You understand when the, when the animal of prey is looking for its prey, it doesn't attack the flock or it doesn't attack the group. You know who it attacks? It attacks the animal that's all alone. Don't you leave the crowd 
of God's people. You come to the place of self-pity. That's who the devil is going to do his best to attack and destroy. No help in despair, but help when we leave despair.